it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On June 22, 2016, authorities were called out to a fire at the Hillcrest Manor Mobile Home Park in Bemidji, Minnesota. Once the fire was under control, the body of 35-year-old Melissa Norby was found inside. Like any other fire, authorities had to determine if this was an accident or if someone set the fire intentionally. The task of investigating the fire was suddenly halted when investigators were informed that Melissa had been babysitting a five-year-old girl that evening. The mobile home was searched, but there were no signs of the child's remains. The fire investigation suddenly became a search for a missing child. This is Monsters. Melissa Norby had been dating a man named Jacob Kinn in 2015, but the relationship had not been going well. In May of that year, Melissa's cousin said that she talked to her on the phone and Melissa described getting into a fight with Jacob. She told her cousin that Jacob ended up punching her and then raping her against the back of her car. Her cousin encouraged her to stay away from the violent man and the two did end up breaking up. Before he dated Melissa, Jacob Kinn had a history of targeting children for sex. In 2013, he was convicted of four counts of possessing child pornography. Despite being in the middle of that trial, Jacob posted an ad on Craigslist looking for young girls to pose for pictures. The ad said he would pay $150 an hour for a minimum of one hour for the girl to wear quote-unquote skimpy outfits. Jacob ended up being sentenced to five years in prison, but instead of locking up a child predator, the sentence was deferred in exchange for Jacob spending 65 days in county jail and not violating the terms of his probation. Because child predators always change their ways, right? This conviction meant that he shouldn't have been around Melissa since she had a son and Jacob wasn't supposed to be around children. That didn't stop the relationship, and it seems that Melissa had a history of dating sex offenders. Her son's father was a registered sex offender in the state of Nebraska, having been convicted of third-degree sexual assault. She was married after that to a man who was convicted of indecent exposure not long before they got divorced. Melissa's family would say in an interview that she had low self-esteem, which clearly affected her love life. Her desire to be liked made her lower her standards significantly. After the physical violence and sexual assault Jacob had carried out against her, Melissa finally called things off. For about a year. It seemed that the two had reconnected and were entertaining the idea of kidnapping a five-year-old girl that Melissa regularly babysat. 
text messages between Jacob and Melissa showed plans to have Jacob kidnap the girl, and then Melissa would call the police and claim she was assaulted by an unknown person before the kidnap occurred. On June 22, 2016, it's unknown exactly what happened, but it seems that something went wrong with their plan. Melissa's mobile home was engulfed in flames, she was dead, and the little girl was missing. Melissa's son had been out of town staying with her cousin, so authorities knew he was safe, but a frantic search for the five-year-old began. While that was happening, the medical examiner determined that Melissa had not died in the fire, but had actually been strangled with a belt. Authorities learned about her relationship with Jacob and wanted to talk to him, but had trouble locating him. When they found out he was still on probation from his earlier child pornography conviction, they had his probation officer call him into his office. He immediately told the detectives that he hadn't been in contact with Melissa in over a year and he hadn't seen the missing girl. He told them that he had been fishing that evening and that all he knew was that there had been a fire. Investigators ended up getting a search warrant for his cell phone location, which placed him in Big Fork, an area nowhere near where he said he had been fishing. They brought him in to question him about the discrepancy. You see that lake right there? Yeah. That's where you are. Mm -hmm. That's where your cell phone is. Okay. That's... Yeah, I, I said I got that. Okay, I, I just wanted to show you the map, a clear picture. So that's, you know, yeah. and their cell phone tower is closer to that than it should have pinged off of. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I said I got that. I don't know how that would have happened, but yeah, I wasn't in Big Fork. I had no reason to be in Big Fork. I don't know why you know, pinged off the of Big Fork tower. I have no reason to lie about where I was tonight. By then, detectives had also been told by multiple people who knew both Melissa and Jacob that they were back together. Jacob claimed that they were all wrong. People who didn't even know each other, like Melissa's cousin and Jacob's co-worker, said the same thing, but they were both wrong somehow. The investigators clearly know that Jacob is their most likely suspect, so they continued to ask him where the girl was. Sivir, I don't know where she's at. But you I don't us. have her. I, They're closer. You're, you're insisting that I have her or I know where she's at. I am. And I don't. Okay. I've told you my whereabouts. The only thing that's sketchy is where I was tonight. And that's that's the big issue. Yeah. That's a huge I, issue. I can't explain that. I know where I was. And that's, I and that's our worry. Jake, if, we if you did something to this little girl, that wouldn't happen. Why? Because I don't have her. I didn't have her. I wasn't there. That's why. Okay. I told you where I was, except for the sketchy detail about tonight. Why are you questioning me? Jacob is one of the many people who just deny involvement and hope that that will be enough. There could be evidence on him. There could be evidence on Melissa, the girl, or a gas can found at the scene, but his plan is to continue to deny everything and hope they don't get enough evidence to prove he's guilty. His cell phone has already put him somewhere other than where he said he was and he's just going to throw up his hands and claim that detail is just a mystery. I guess we'll never know how that cell phone data put him in a completely different place. Your cell phone, I don't know who it was. Your cell phone is not even close to where you say you're fishing. That's, that's, 
concerning to us. It's yeah, and I understand that, but I can't explain it. You should have been within a five mile radius of where you were fishing, and it's not. It's like forty miles away. Like I said, yeah, that's concerning because I kind of it's like, oh, what was he doing? Mm-hmm. But I can't explain it because I was freaking fishing. I can't explain it. Aliens must have stolen my phone while I was fishing. It just can't be explained. Jacob told the investigators that he does have a fishing rod and tackle box in his Jeep, which he's willing to show them. Of course, that's not proof that he was fishing. I have a hammer in my trunk, but I haven't done any carpentry in months. I'm not sure if they took him up on his offer or not, but after hours of questioning, they finally let him go. Not long after, authorities found out that the area in Big Fork where Jacob's phone had pinged was a property owned by his brother. When they went out and searched the property, they found the five-year-old inside of a pop-up trailer, wearing pajamas with her feet tied together. She was alive, but a medical examination showed that she had been sexually assaulted. She identified Jacob as the man who had taken her from Melissa's house, put tape on her, and left her in the camper. She said he told her he was never coming back. Only hours after he had been released, Jacob was brought back in for another interview. This time, the investigators had a secret weapon that the child predator wasn't aware of. They went through the motions, asking him again if he had seen the girl. They asked him if they would find his DNA on a gas can found at the scene of the fire. He continued to deny any involvement in the fire or the kidnapping. He said that everything was the same as the night before, and when they asked him if he was 100% sure, he told them that he was 95% sure. What was the other 5%? He said that was because he was tired and groggy from being kept up the night before while he was being questioned the first time. Then he asked, What changed between two hours ago and now? One of the detectives pulled out a phone and showed him the screen. Is that the 5% that you're talking about that you're not sure of? No. Let's start over. What do you got to tell us? I don't know what was on the screen, but it was clearly irrefutable evidence. My assumption is that it may have been a picture of the girl when they found her. Jacob just let out a sigh. He knew the game was up. He explained to the detectives that he and Melissa had started dating again and they had begun planning to kidnap the girl. On June 21st, he went over to Melissa's home where the couple had sex. He said that he put a belt around her neck and choked her, but she eventually went limp and had blood coming out of her mouth. The five-year-old had been in the mobile home when this happened, so he put a mattress over Melissa's body so the girl wouldn't see her. He then took her out to a cabin in the same town where he tied her up and grabbed a gas can. He went back to Melissa's house and set it on fire. Then he went to the cabin and sexually assaulted the girl. The next day, he went to work, but afterward, he went back to the cabin, picked up the girl, and took her to a trailer on his brother's property. On October 5th, 2016, Jacob was found unresponsive in his cell. He was transported to Sanford Bemidji Hospital, where he was treated for an albuterol overdose. 
The following month, Jacob stopped being able to feed himself and his mother said she was concerned that his behavior had changed. His lawyers then said that he was either refusing or unable to communicate with them and was urinating in his pants. He was eventually evaluated by a psychiatrist and determined to be able to understand the charges against him. The doctor confirmed that he was also able to communicate with his legal counsel. He was found competent to stand trial. After his attempt to get an insanity ruling failed, Jacob Kinn eventually pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, kidnapping, and criminal sexual conduct. Aggravating factors were added, including mutilation of a body and that the murder happened in the presence of a child. He was sentenced to 52 years in prison. Jacob Kinn was not only a child predator, but he was an adult predator as well. He poses a risk to everyone who comes in contact with him, and now he's locked away from the public, where a monster should be. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.